on the bus. You couldn't sit on the same seat with them. You had to be in the back and they mocked, they laughed, they stared and giggled. And it just seemed like I was getting smaller and smaller in that seat, just smaller. I just wanted to disappear. My name is Liz and you're live in the black seat where black people are sharing our experiences and our true selves in a space that is diverse, free and unfiltered. Everyone is welcome in the black seat, but make no mistake. Black folks are driving. If you're ready to challenge your ideas about Black people or learn something new, we are here for the genuine seekers. But if you're ready, buckle up. Let's go. Most everyone is familiar with the story of Ruby Bridges, a little Black girl who integrated her school at just six years old. But we also know that there were hundreds of segregated schools in America which means there are dozens more Ruby Bridges who were little warriors just like her. In this episode, we talk to Miss Shondalyn Small, one of the first Black students to attend her town's all-white school at the tender age of seven in Alabama. Our conversation covered the impact of race in her small town, colorism and the concept of the acceptable Negro, and the lifelong effects of racial trauma. You'll be charmed by her sweet spirit, and inspired to hear all the victories she's achieved along the way. So if you're ready, buckle up. Let's go. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm excited to chat with you today. And I want to start off with you introducing yourself. Give me your name, your age, your profession, where you live, and how you identify ethnically. Okay. Good afternoon. My name is Shondalyn Small. I am 59 years old. I reside in Covina, California. Right now, I'm going through some kind of second midlife crisis. I went back to school and I am about to be a commercial driver. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. Now, how do you identify ethnically? I identify as Black. Black. Okay. Let's jump right in. Can you set the stage for us? Tell me about your family and the town you grew up in and how it came about that you would be the first of the students to integrate the school. Okay, I'm from a very small town in northwestern Alabama named Reform, Alabama. I actually, the small community I was born and raised in is called Palmetto. It was 6.7 miles north of Reform. When I grew up, we had one traffic light. In the community I grew up in, there were no sidewalks, no street lights, one main road, and dirt roads. Now, how many people were in Reform? What was the population? Reform was a population of approximately about 1,200. And the community I grew up in was less than 100, about 50. Okay, so everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. Mostly everybody was related to everybody. Yes. My history, my family history is my great grandparents were the first landowners in Pickens County. I'm from a family of trailblazers. My great great grandparents were born slaves. So it wasn't that far back. Right. Now, normally, We think once you're freed, they were out of North Carolina. Once you free, they went north or to the Midwest, but definitely not to the south. Mm -hmm. 
But interestingly, so mine went south. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. And they fared well. They were able to obtain a total of 460 acres. And together they raised 13 children, one of which was my grandfather. My grandfather, Dressmer McCrary, I just remembered this today. Grandpa was the first black man to be an employee of the county. He worked on the land commission. He was the first black. Yeah. So growing up, I never knew anything was different. Because everybody was black. Yeah, we only had black and we only had white. I never saw another race of persons until I was 17 years old. That, that interesting? That is something. That is something. So in reform, you were seven years old. Yes. And tell me, you integrated yes. a school. Now yes. tell me how, how did that happen? What are the circumstances around that? Well, first of all, let's keep in mind, this was, in fact, 52 years ago, (laughs) which wasn't that long ago. No. But for me to recall everything, Mm -hmm. it is a long time ago. (laughs) Now, I do not remember a conversation about why me and my brother, he's two years older than me, and my first cousins in Palmetto, we were selected to be like the test Blacks. Not all Blacks went when I was in second grade, just the McCrary's, that's my maiden name, out of Palmetto were selected to integrate into this school. Now, how many of you, there was you, your brother, and how many cousins? There were five of us. Okay. Now, there was the white school in town. It was the elementary, middle school, and high school, all in one school. Up on the hill was the black school. It was called Hopewell High School, which was elementary, middle school, high school. You had two separate busings. One bus line, I'll just say, picked up the black children. Other bus line picked up the white children. All I can remember is mama telling me and my brother that we had to start going to a different school. I do not recall her emphasizing that it was a white school Mm. and that we were going to be the only blacks there. What I remember was the shock of number one, standing down at the foot of the hill for the bus to pick me up. Black driver did not stop. The white driver stopped. We were like, we're not getting, you know, no. But mama patted us, pushed us. You're going to ride this bus. So we get on the bus. I remember As that little girl being so afraid, I remember going to school. We were on the front seat right behind the bus driver and children were loud. They were really excited and they were laughing and talking. But I did not realize going to school what they were laughing about. When I got to the school, I was seated in the front of the classroom and I was so afraid. Everything was so strange. And I had never been around that many white people at one time in my life. I had never been around that many white children in my life. Everything was new to me from the people, the classroom, the bus ride. So I was scared to death. Can you remember how many kids were at the white school? 
Oh no, small town. I have no idea. Okay. So maybe still small to this day. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But you were the only black student in my class in the class. Okay. I was the only black. Then it was, I remember it being break time. And if you were good, you were selected to go to the cafeteria and bring back the milk for snack time. And you could have white milk or you could have chocolate milk, little small boxes of milk. And so the teacher selected me and another little girl, little white girl. She had to go with me to show me how to do it. And I remember when I was getting up to go, uh, somebody made reference to she's going to get all chocolate milk. I went, I came back. I remember just huddling in my seat, scared to death. I remember to this day, the fear. I didn't understand it. And I was just truly scared. At the end of the day, the bus ride home was different than the bus ride there. I I couldn't sit right behind the driver. I had to sit more towards the back of the bus. Mm. The children wouldn't let me sit down. And then when they got to our home and the bus stopped, I got up, me and my brother, to get off the bus. He got off first. And as I got off the bus and walked around front to the driveway, um, a girl yelled out the window, bye, ain't Jemima. And I cried all the way. I began to run, run as fast as I could to get away. Yeah, it was a very, very scary time in my life because I did not understand it. And I told my mom, I'm from a two parent home. Mama stood at the driveway as we went. And she was there when the bus pulled up for a long time after that. And that never happened again. Do you remember any conversations with your parents after you came home? And because I can imagine that, you know, the second day, it wasn't like automatically okay that you had some feelings that you were experiencing for a while. Well, I went into the house crying and my actually mama met us in the carport. She swung. I guess she was watching from the window and she ran out and met me to see what had happened to me if I fallen or if someone hit me. And I told her, I remember tell, crying and telling her what someone said to me. And I do have a faint memory that when mom met the school bus the next morning, she had a conversation with the driver. Now, my mama was somewhat of a spitfire. She was ahead of her time living in the deep South. My mother, when George Wallace stood in the doors of the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa to block blacks from enrolling that day. My mother was there. She was there amongst the protests. My mother also was the first black DJ in Pickens County. She was the first female and the first black. So my mother did not cower down to racism nor prejudices. She was more upfront and in your face, not only because of it, but especially when it pertained to her children. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned that your family was the one selected to integrate this school. Is there a particular reason why your family was selected? Well, we were kind of like well-to-do Blacks. We were, the name meant something back there in that time. We were well-respected as a family. My daughter later told me her opinion was I was selected because 
And we were fair skinned people. She feels that played a factor in it as well, that we were kind of blended Mm. more so than if the children in the classroom look up and a darker skinned child walked in. And I, I thought about that. And I'm like, wow, could really that much thought be put into it? But I've never had a clear understanding or never was told why us. You know, and it makes a lot of sense because there's optics that are involved yeah. with those kinds of situations, like the difference between Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin, See? like picking one versus the other for the uh, bus girl, boycott. I had the long piggy tails, just mm-hmm. like the white girls, long, loose, curly piggy tails. So it makes sense. The acceptable Negro, respectability, politics, all of that. Wow. Yeah, it was a as I've gotten grown and look back over my life during that time, I question a lot of things. I didn't understand there was one doctor in town and in the summertime, it's really hot and humid in the South. I didn't understand why when we went go to the doctor, our waiting room was separate than the white people's waiting room. And they had a big old air conditioner in the window and we had a fan on the floor and it was hot. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand when our washing machine broke at home and we had to go into town to do our laundry. I didn't understand why the black people had the old hot laundromat, but up on the main highway, the white people had an air-conditioned laundromat, but we couldn't go there. I didn't understand these type of things. Or when me and my grandmother went into the country store and a white lady who was clearly younger than my grandmother greeted her as, hey, Rosetta. And my grandmother replied, hi, Miss Betty. Mm. Didn't understand why. And I questioned once we left and got home, I questioned my grandmother why that was so, because we were raised not to address our elders by their first name. Absolutely. That confused me. So as a child, I couldn't understand it. So I asked my grandmother, why did she do that? And my grandmother's reply was, it's just the way it is now. As I look back, that's just the way it was. But you knew enough to know that something wasn't right with it. I knew something wasn't right with it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, there was that one country store. Now, again, we live almost seven miles from uh, town. So this country store back then, you know, you got your gas and you could get staples. You could put it on your um, credit for the week. Daddy get paid. He go pay the bills. So my grandfather and most of this man's business was from the blacks in the community. So my grandfather decided to build a store and he had laid the cinder blocks and it had the wooden pegs in the ground with the string. He was about to pour the foundation when one morning they were awakened to a huge cross burning at the site. And they understood that that was a warning. So as a child, we weren't allowed to sit around grown people when they were talking. Now, were you alive when that happened or this yes. is OK? Yes. And so there was horse tracks leading away. And my grandpa and three of his four sons followed the tracks right up to Parker's store, where that's the only store in town. 
and dad and his brothers, this is what mama told us. They stood outside and watched as grandpa went to the door, called the man outside and they had a conversation and whatever. I do not know the details of the conversation, but grandpa never built the store. Mm. He never built the store. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So growing up in those times, I didn't understand racism. I didn't really know it existed. I just know there were things you could do and that you couldn't do. There was no such thing as interracial dating. No such thing. So when you were in school, because I want to go back. So you started in second grade at the white school and you went through your entire education. Yes. To high school graduation. And if we talk about not having there not being interracial dating, does that mean like you couldn't date anyone at school? You would never, ever have found anyone at school like like a lot of, you know, kids do. Because so what I want people to understand is all the different ways that this impacted you. Well, one of the ways now the following year, all the blacks, everybody came together going to school. Okay. When all the blacks came into the school, I can remember beginning, I would say sixth, seventh grade. I didn't look like the other girls. What do you mean? There wasn't another black girl that was fair skinned with long, curly hair in my school. My first cousins didn't look like me. I thought I just looked how I looked until I was old enough to see why they were being mean to me. Now, there's a reason I'm saying this. When I say people didn't mix, I looked as though I was a product of mixing. Now, when it came to the blacks in my school and it held true to the day I left there, my friends were white. Really? I remember when I was in 10th grade, my friend, Missy Hilders, asked me to spend the night with her. And that was like a no-no too. I asked my parents. They said, okay. She asked her parents. They said, okay. I remember going and tell my granny and Aunt Velma that I was going to spend the night at Mr. Paul Drake's house. And they said, what? They had a fit. My granny told mama it wasn't safe. I didn't have no business doing that. But they allowed it. That was the first time anybody around there ever heard of a black child spending the night with a white friend. <laughs> My God. Do you remember what that was like? And like, because I'm it was I, so I, fun and exciting. Uh-huh. We both were contestants in the high school beauty pageant. So I spent the night with her the night of the beauty pageant. Afterwards, I went back to her house and I won. I was the first black to win it. <laughs> okay, now. So you had you been in a white person's home before? Or was that the first time you had ever been in a white person's home? I don't think I'd ever been in a white person's home. Wow. And the reason I asked that I was just actually oh. having I was having a conversation the other night with a friend about oh. a friend of hers who lives here in California. And had someone come over who was from Mississippi. And he said, as a grown man, that was the first time he'd ever had dinner at a white person's home. So that's what made me even ask you that. I hadn't. And it was a big deal. Mm, So like there's word around town that this is what's happening. And I'm sure it was. Mm. Sure it was because she was the stepdaughter of a prominent person in town, a prominent 
white man in town. Did you guys ever have conversations about race or were you just you were just friends? We were just being kids. Okay. Later in life, we're still friends to this day. We often joke about it. Mm-hmm. We're still friends. OK. Now, do you have conversations now about race or? Not really. At times we remember what life was like back then and how we wish it hadn't have been that way where we could have been more free to be friends. And so you you mentioned that all of your friends were white. Can you explain how that happened? Why that would have been the case? I just thought it was maybe because I look different. Okay. So was it the other black kids were excluding you or you gravitated to the white kids or they gravitated to you? I felt excluded. Okay. In my time, my in my where and when I grew up, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it was normal to me. Can you understand that? Yeah, yeah. You know, a fish doesn't know it's in water. This is the only life that you've ever lived growing up and you don't know anything different, right? Right. It was was normal. It was normal. I can remember the very first time I saw an interracial couple. I found myself staring with my mouth dropped open. And the reason why I was so scared for that black guy. And I was in California. I just knew someone was going to harm him for being out on the sidewalk with a person not his race. Mm. I didn't know it was normal out here. Got it. Wow. Okay. So there was a a change in the town from the time you were in the second grade to the time that you were in high school. How was your experience? Because I think you had some other firsts and like notable things that you did throughout school. I entered junior high division, little beauty pageant, and I won. I was the first black girl to ever win the junior high division beauty pageant. The next year you give your crown away. That's ninth grade to the new winner. Tenth grade, senior high division, I entered again and I won again. Okay. Hey, now. Was this when you beat your friend? Yes. Okay. (laughs) She was first runner up. Okay. (laughs) That's close. That's close. So I was the first black to win in that division. And also I was the first to win both, both titles. It was really cool. I would like for your viewers kind of get a a better understanding of what times were like. When I say no mixing, they did not. There were no interracial open publicly relationships allowed. It was the unspoken rule and it was a rule. You just didn't cross that line. Many people, once they graduated, they left the South and went north, just left that little small town. Well, this young man had left and went up north somewhere. And but he moved back home. But when he came back home, he had a white wife and a little baby, an infant. Now, what year was this? I was still in high school. Let's say probably I was 15. So it was in the 70s. Okay. And he came home now. You know, you watch a Western and they'll say so-and-so owns the town. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a man who pretty much owned Reform and his name was Pee Wee Sparks. And he owned a lot the white laundromats. He owned trucks. He just owned a lot of businesses in town. And uh, 
the, the wife of the brother I'm speaking of had went to his laundromat to do clothes. Now, everybody was whispering about, oh, my gosh, here he done brought home a white wife. So she was doing laundry. And the story goes, uh, Mr. Sparks came in and he began to speak in a flirtatious manner with her. And he touched her in an inappropriate manner and she slapped him and he told her by nightfall, you better leave this town and never come back. It was like the wild, wild west. Mm. She obviously paid it no mind. So she and her husband and their little baby and two friends got in the car and were they were going to Tuscaloosa on Highway 82, where before they crossed the county line, they were struck by a truck. The truck was owned by Sparks. Mm. Everyone in the car was killed instantly, except the wife and the baby who were put into an ambulance to be transported on to Tuscaloosa to the nearest um, big hospital. But before they got there, they collided with a cop car from reform and were killed. The whole family was wiped out. True story. Just because they came back as an interracial couple and the man who owned the town was flirting with her and got mad that she rebuffed him. All that piled on together. He killed. He had everyone killed. Right now, as we speak, Ben Crump is representing a family whose son was he was found hanging in the county jail, Pickens County Jail, from an apparent suicide. But this is one of a few that's happening back there in that county. And now Ben Crump has taken the case. Were these things happening back when you were growing up? Or do you think that this is as a result of more mixing? I wouldn't say it's mixing, but it's still the old heads have that mindset. Now, I know a girl, she's older than me, her son. You know, I'm out here in California. But I, they still tell me what's going on back there. I still have many friends back home. Her son was dating the, the now sheriff's daughter. And he was one of those that was pulled over on a country road, took to jail and died by suicide hanging in that very jail. And how long ago was that? 15 years or so ago. Wow. And that's what I want to try to get across to everyone is that these things are still happening. Still happening. And just because it's not making national news does not mean it's not happening. In the United States, like that to me is I'm not even going to say the cyclical nature of history because it's not even like a cycle where something ended and then started again. It's just been continuously happening. Absolutely. So what you know of your other cousins and your brother, how was their experience in integrating the school? I can't really say what my cousin's experience was. Stanley wasn't my big brother. Mm -hmm. He didn't get the same harassment as me. He was a tall person and he was a boy. And he wasn't easy to be picked on, I think. I can't speak of my other cousins. When we occasionally will, when I'll speak to one of them, we'll uh, remember those days. And one cousin said, you know, if we had the mindset then that we have now, we perhaps wouldn't be here. (laughs) (laughs) You was going to go turn over all the desks. (laughs) But again, we just didn't know. 
Now, how much older is Stanley? Two years. He's a retired naval officer. He's a full-time pastor now in, in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he's still down south. Yes, he returned down south. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I married young. Uh, my ex-husband was on uh, Air Force. So we traveled around. I just never had any desires to permanently settle back down there. Yeah, you came out here and saw your first non-black not, or non-white person and was like, what? where y'all been? <laughs> Knowing that you have this kind of background, both in you know the school experience and just living in your town, when you see protests today, like the protests against critical race theory in schools, what kind of emotions does that bring up for you? What are your thoughts about that? Anger. Just today on PBS. They were doing a segment on slavery and the ships, and they did a story of a 10-year-old girl named Priscilla and what all she endured. And I asked my husband to turn it. Shows like Mississippi Burning and those types of shows, I can't watch them. Is it feels too real and, and personal from what you experienced? or Yes, I lived. I was born in 62. I grew up during the civil rights era and... No, I don't like to feel that. It is interesting. The other thing I think people, when we talk about the resilience of Black people, mm-hmm. and it's true, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something that we still feel having experienced it. Absolutely. I identify racism, I feel, a lot faster than most because I've lived it. I've seen it firsthand. And I relate to it. I identify it off the top. A lot of times when I would say to my children, that happened to you because you're Black. Now, as middle school, I've always tried to to raise my children to be aware of a lot of things in life. I've tried to make them as book smart and street smart as possible because I feel that's the combination for success. I truly do. Mama, everything is not because you're Black. Ten years go by, I say the same thing to them. Mama, you're right. Your children, your two children, you want to shout them out right now? My children are trailblazers trailblazers as well. My son, Rex, is the youngest elected city official in the history of Long Beach. Long Beach, California, Rex Richardson. Look him up. He's the current vice mayor, and he's also now a candidate for mayor of Long Beach. When elected, he'll be the first black mayor of Long Beach. My daughter, Kristen, ran a campaign here in Charter Oak, California. She was elected and she is the first black school board member in the history. It was formed, I believe, in 1896. And my daughter is the first black school board member. There you go. That's right. <laughs> Proud mama. And coming from the lineage, yes. right? That there's something that is obviously instilled in Absolutely. both of them. That's right. To carry that mantle on yes. a family of firsts, your mother, you, your children, and your grandchildren yes. are, are going to be in that, in that Absolutely. same Absolutely. I love that. I love the history and the lineage and how it shows up in their own spheres of influence. Beautiful. It, it is. I know my mama, rest in peace, would be so proud. 
so proud if she could see her line now. So from your schooling experience, did your when you put your children were school age, were there any sensitivities that you had in terms of the environment you wanted them to be in? No, I know I gave my children such a strong foundation that whatever environment they stepped in, they were prepared for and could conquer it. Were they in an area where it was more diverse or? When Chrissy became school age, we were a military family. So they bounced around a minute. Then unfortunately, me and their father divorced. I moved back home for a couple of years and I put them in reform elementary. How could I forget this? Where they excelled, they were smart as whips and people was not ready for my kids, you hear me. So they had a math contest. Chrissy won first place, AJ won, Rex won second place and their names on the billboard. Well, the class Chrissy was in, there was a little white girl that was the star student before Chrissy enrolled. And Chrissy was smarter than her. But we noticed the teacher started grading Chrissy less. So the white girl would have the highest GPA in the class. I haven't always been this calm of a person. So I went up there to that school and I brought this to their attention and I made them aware that I would have every member of the Birmingham chapter of the NAACP up there at that school if they did not grade my daughter honest and fairly. That's right. They changed grades because they did not want my black child to be smarter and the white child. There was a story a couple of years ago. I think the same thing happened in Mississippi mm-hmm. where they had the it was the difference between the valedictorian and the salutatorian. And it was the black girl. Mm-hmm. And they changed the way that they did the grading. Right. To give the white girl the unfair they advantage. That. They did that to Chrissy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same old shenanigans. See. And then they'll tell you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard and you can achieve. And then they go and do something unfair like that. Mm-hmm. See? I'm glad I remembered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you always talk to your children about your experience in school or was it something that came out later? Well, well, yeah, I have, but I really never, this was like a few years ago that I actually started telling them about when I was in second grade, because again, I just thought it was just, well, you know, when I was in second grade, I helped be secret. What, mom? You did what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Do you remember? I said, yeah, I was so scared. I was so afraid. I was so afraid. That was like the scariest thing I can remember um, as a child. I can remember the fear. I can remember that. I can remember the fear. I can remember being called Aunt Jemima. And I can remember being mocked going to get the milk that day. Mm. And the other thing that people, I think, don't realize is, so you go to school on that first day. Mm -hmm. It's the scariest experience in the world. And then the next day you have to go back. And then the next day you have to go back. It's not like, you know, a week long thing and you can see, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You're there at the school. They didn't put the next week or so. They put my younger cousin in the class with me. Okay, wasn't even in my grade. 
I just remembered that. Now, did that help you with the anxiety? And yeah, okay. I'm sh- I can only imagine what he was feeling because he would have been in first grade. He probably was crying all day. Yeah. I mean, a year younger. And I was in second grade. He mm-hmm. was in first grade. They put him in the class with me. I remember there was a holiday called May Day. And since I spoke with you, I researched it and it couldn't be the same May Day, but it was called May Day. I know I'm remembering it correctly. And they held it at Hopewell High School for years. And they let us get on the black bus and go back to the black school that day for the May Day celebration. So this was like the first year they were really trying to ease us into this, but there was no such thing as easing it in. It was such a culture shock. It was so scary. Six, seven hours a day. Yeah. And then the bus ride back and forth. And on the bus, you couldn't sit on the same seat with them. They just, you had to be in the back and they mocked, they laughed, they stared and giggled. And it just seemed like I was getting smaller and smaller in that seat. Just smaller. I just wanted to disappear because I was I would never put my child through that. And had you ever even as you got older, did you ever talk to your parents about why the decision was made or was it just when I came up, children didn't have those types of conversations with their parents. Mm -hmm. It's what I say goes. And it's not I didn't have mean parents. I had very loving parents. If they said do this then it was okay. I didn't understand it. I just knew I had to go to a different school and I knew I had to ride the white bus. We didn't question. Right. Like they, they're as a parent, you know, protecting your child. Yes. Like balancing that with knowing that it was the right thing to do to have you and your cousins have the exposure that any kid should have to a quality education. And it's just such an unfair calculation that parents had to make. Yes. Is completely unfair. Unfair. Because they love their black children as much as the white parents love their little white children. Right. That's right. And maybe even more because they knew what you would have to face in the world. Mm-hmm. Ooh. All right. <laughs> it's hard to relive that. Mm-hmm. And it's been 52 years ago, but it's still somewhat hard. Because I can still feel it. Now, what would you say if you could talk to that little girl on her first day? I would tell her, be strong. They're only doing what they were taught. Mm. Be strong. And that's that's a word for today, tomorrow. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I have a few more questions. I'm curious, how do you define Blackness. Blackness goes deeper than one's color of their skin. Blackness is a state of mind. Blackness is a sign of strength, of endurance. Blackness is kings and queens, knowing your roots, knowing your heritage. That's blackness to me. And you have a lineage of black folks to be unbelievably proud of. Thank you very much. Unbelievably proud. As we wrap up, one of my favorite questions, who is your black hero or heroine and why? And you can have more than one. The only caveat is that they have to be black. You know, heroes can change over Mm -hmm. one's lifetime. 
of course, as a child, you'd look, my dad was my hero. Oh my gosh. There was no more perfect man to walk the face of this earth next to Jesus Christ was my dad. My dad watched. He grew up with one eye. He lost his eye. His mother was throwing rocks at the chickens when he darted from around the side of the house and it knocked his eye out. So dad, I admired the strength in him because his brothers grew up and were able to go into the military. That was a big thing back then. What else can a black man do? But my dad couldn't go because he had that one eye. But dad made a career out of working at a sawmill who later sold to Weyerhaeuser Corporation, where daddy was the first black supervisor of maintenance department. <laughs> I love it. The things that you think are setbacks are the setups, right? Absolutely. So my father retired from Weyerhaeuser and he was a very strong, religious, hardworking man, hardworking man. So during all those years, my dad was my hero. And let's, let's give him his name. Sylvester. McCrary, M-C, capital C-R-A-R-Y, rest in peace. That's a good name. Yes, it is. Sylvester McCrary, that's a good name. His parents, my grandparents were named Dressmer and Beely. Dressmer and Beely. Together, they have four sons. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Elmer D, Porter C, Bobby Lee, (laughs) and Sylvester (laughs) Okay. They said, look, we're going to switch it up. We're going to give them some interesting names. (laughs) Right, right. I I was like, wow, that's really cool, guys. Yeah. So into my adult years, I really um, saw my dad as my hero. When I became a mom and raised my children, and now I'm the mother of adult children, I got to say, my daughter, Chrissy, is my hero. My daughter, my life has had some really rocky places. And this young lady is everything I prayed she would be and has held her mama's hands through some of the most difficult times in my life. I am so proud of her. She is everything I wanted to be, but didn't quite make it. I love her so much. I thank God for her. I only got one. He gave me the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm very proud of her. She's a good person. She's a wonderful wonderful child. She's everything, everything I could hope for, wish for, and pray for in a child. She's my hero. I'm going to go on a limb on her behalf and say that you're her hero. (laughs) I'm going to, but we can bring her on. I'm just willing to bet that. Okay. So that is actually all I have today. It has been amazing. I am so grateful for your time, for your strength, for your honesty, for being willing to go back to a painful place. But also I admire your strength and being able to move forward. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so grateful to be able to do this. I really am. Awesome. I got through it. Yes, yes. (laughs) You're welcome back in the Black Seat at any time. Oh, thank you, baby. Thank you. Thank you. With all of my melanin, I want to sincerely thank my guest, Shondalyn Small, and her daughter, Kristen, for facilitating our conversation today. Thank you for taking the time to listen with an open heart and mind. Special shout out to Ketza for the music. We've got lots of other great episodes planned, and I look forward to introducing you to some really interesting Black folks. 
If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at superblack at intheblackseat.com. We're also on Twitter or IG at intheblackseat. God bless y'all and see you again soon.